Hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai, and welcome to episode 29 of Little Things for Bonsai People, the podcast. And today I'm joined by one of my co-hosts, Mike Lane of Kitsune Bonsai. What's going on, Mike? Hey, guys. How's it going? And I'm um, also joined by a very special guest today, Sergio Kwan. How's it going, Sergio? Great, man. Good awesome. to uh, to see you, and uh, thank you for having me. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. It's yeah. going to be a really fun one. Um, but before we get started, I do need to mention that our, our podcast is sponsored by our amazing patrons. Uh, we have a list of patrons called our Bonsai Best Buds. Uh, we always read the list off here to our $5 patrons, uh, starting with Tori Solis, Warehouse Rat, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers. Here we go. Ryan Giordano. You're welcome. I had to look it up on uh, on Google pronunciation to get that right. Uh, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard Bonsai Australia, The Ladies at the Flower Market, Taylor Peacock, Chase Pertwee, Vicky Off. Thank you for being Bonsai Best Buds and supporting the show. Every every little thing counts. Everything Every little thing helps. Uh, make sure you share, subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Um, and also, I need to go ahead and just drop in really quick about our editor, Matt O'Donnell. Uh, go to mattodonnell.com. Check out his website. He's a uh, music producer and bass player out of Nashville. He cleans up our podcast, makes us sound really good, really smooth. Uh, makes us just, you know, he's making this podcast happen. I, you know, can't be more thankful for uh, for Matt. So thanks, Matt. Uh, yeah, like I said, go check out his website. His Instagram's the same thing, uh, at Matt O'Donnell, O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L. Go check him out. Anyway, so let's get into it. Uh, so Sergio, how is it going on your part of the world? It's going well, man. I just uh, ending uh, my spring ma- spring madness. Uh, you know, I just I just repotted the last one about a week and a half ago, and uh, I'm kind of happy to take a little bit of a break. To be honest with you, mm. it's it's been um it's just been mad. It's been uh, I think colder than than uh, average here up here. It's been cold. It's been wet, and. Uh, been doing the, the bonsai shuffle as they say you know in and out in and out and i've been doing that almost for close to two months so now is finally all the trees are in the garden i'm getting my garden all set up or finishing setting it up and uh, like i said i i, I finished repotting the last one uh a week and a half ago so mm-hmm. very happy to uh yeah so i'm so nothing's really bud launched yet i'm sorry what was that uh any any good bud launch like yeah, good ex- extensions on your buds yet? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting quite a bit of extension, although some of the trees have been a little bit on the slow side, just because it's been a little bit cold. But mm-hmm. now it's warming up, and now some of the trees are just kind of taking off, taking off, which is great to see. Yeah, it's it's been a pretty common place for the podcast, especially this year because the weather's been really roller coaster as far as uh, temperatures go. Uh, even in Louisiana, we had an oddly cool spring. I mean, it's 90 degrees today, but our spring started out pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, it was 60 degrees and going down to, to 50 degrees at night, just staying there for about a month or so. Uh, but yeah, like we said, we always talk about the weather on this podcast. It's oh, it's yeah. strictly related. It's a bone size, so we understand. <laughs> yeah, but, that's uh, awesome. Yep. Yeah, spring's always a, a rough time to kind of get caught up on everything and, uh, you know, now I'm I'm 
now that I'm traveling, I'm following up on some of the customers you were working with too. And so I'm learning a little bit about deciduous trees that I, I've never even worked on. So it's been an interesting spring. Evan yeah. and I were just doing a big repotting session in uh, Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is just like that, that perfect moment to do tropicals right now. Um, and I learned that, and this is from you, Mike, that tropicals are best done like right now, especially your stronger ones. Yeah. Like we were talking about before, it's, it's my opinion. I just like to have the extra time to recover them. It's, and it's a valid opinion. You know, like that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, for strong stuff like the ficuses or the buttonwoods and the primnas and all the other stuff that is definitely going to put on a lot of good growth. Uh, you got, like you said, you got that about eight months, you know, left of growing season. I'll as well just get, get a head start on it. Uh, so for you, Sergio, you're located in New Jersey, if I remember right. I am in yep. the nor northwest corner of the of the state, to be exact. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, I think I'm six A growing zone six A. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So your zone uh, is just a little bit like more in line with uh, how it would be because I know in New York and around that, like in the New England states, it's always just really mild. Even the summers there, right? Uh, we, we can get up, up to like, I mean, it's unusual, but maybe sometimes we can get up to night, like 95 mm. in, uh, maybe July or August. But, uh, I would say average temperature here would be probably around 85 to 88 degrees, something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, around August, July, we may get, we may get a stretch where we may hit 90, 93 degrees, something like that. Uh, mm. but luckily we have not yet have gone up to like 117, like the North, uh, Pacific Northwest had like, I think two years ago, which was insane. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we don't. <laughs> yeah. So. Where are you, uh, where are you from originally, Sergio? Are you... Yeah. Originally I, I'm, I'm Cuban. Oh, uh, no kidding. And believe it or not, I, I don't have a single tropical. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm building up to that, Mike. We got to uh, fix that. Yeah, yes. we got to fix that. Yeah, uh, but I'm Cuban and I grew up in Spain. And uh, and again, I've been I've been in the United States for, for quite a while now. But uh, but mainly I, I, I grew up in Spain. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I have one more follow-up question that I'm chomping at the bit to ask. Sure. Is, how uh, somebody told me that you were just self self-taught mostly is that true that is that is true that is true i am i am self-taught um it is also true i've taken like uh I, I took a an intensive with bill albanis uh back in 2015 i believe yeah and i had beyond here i've uh of course i watch uh ryan neal's uh uh you know uh live stream uh, so of course, you know, so I, I get a lot from that, right? But uh, but I have never, uh, unfortunately, I would say I have never been to Japan or had like a teacher to like like teach me basically the the ropes. Uh, so I had a lot, a lot of just bumping to a wall, basically in the wall, trying things again and again and again. And uh, um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of information these days, right, on the internet. So. I think that that's very helpful, but, but yeah, I would say that I'm, I'm pretty much self-taught. Yeah. Well, that, that's a, that's something that really speaks a lot. I'm sure to a lot of our listeners as well, um, because, you know, not a lot of people think that to do great bonsai, you might have to travel to Japan or whatnot. And one of the things I've noticed about your work is it that separates it is it has a distinct Japanese quality to it. 
uh, that's oh. rare, you know, rare amongst mm-hmm. uh, any professional, you know, so kudos, man. I really enjoy your work. Thanks a lot, Mike. I, I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Um, yeah, you know, you. I, I'm sure that happens with you guys. I don't I don't really think about having a style. I mm. just uh, I just adapt myself to the to what I'm what is front in front of me in terms of whether the tree is a little more wild, wants to be a little more wild, or wants to be a little more classical, you know, more more sort of quote unquote Japanese. Uh, I follow through with that. Um, but I guess in the end, you cannot escape yourself, right? So in right. the end, you'll have something that people will say, oh, that's a that's a that's a Mike Lane tree or that's an Evan Purdue tree. Uh, or that's a Sergio tree, whatever. Um, but yeah, so, but I, I don't, I don't think of myself having uh, a particular style per se. But yeah, awesome, awesome. You got one for him, Evan? Oh well, yeah. Uh, we're gonna carry right through to the main topic here uh, for the listeners. I think I didn't mention it, but uh, did I say we're doing deciduous and Japanese maples? Yeah, for the cut. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, it, I'm I'm at the nursery right now. Uh, in between uh, doing stuff over here, you know, there's a lot of things going on, so I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, like we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of a dive into uh, into some deciduous stuff, but also okay. um, since you have a lot of experience with Japanese maples and you're, I'm guessing the climate where you're at um, in New Jersey is it looks like it's pretty optimal for Japanese maples. Uh, what what are the guidelines that you would say? Like, what's the base level things that we should know about Japanese level Japanese maples approaching them as bonsai material? Well, I I would say right. Uh, I mean, there's so many things to unpack when you talk about Japanese maples. First of all, is the seasonality, right? And that 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 is also true to a degree with all the seedless trees, but specifically Japanese maples. Um, you have that wonderful seasonality. There is something interesting, right, uh, throughout the year, spring, uh, mm-hmm. summer, fall, winter. Um, so that's that's something that captivated me uh, because with Japanese maples, you can get that really, really sort of fine structure. Um, it, it, to me, is a quintessential um, deciduous uh, species. If you want to do like true deciduous material um i think i think japanese maples is hard to beat um but i would say it is very difficult to grow them uh when once you go down like south where you guys are you can still grow them but part of part of the beauty of uh, japanese maples is that you want to have uh the leaves in good shape so that you can you can appreciate them in the fall uh the, you know the, the fall color and uh that that's kind of becomes becomes challenging uh, as you kind of go down towards the south uh, because you know the leaves like in los angeles people are trying to grow japanese maples in los angeles some of them i actually i i know a couple of people that grow them fairly successfully but for the most part they just get fried i mean I, I, june comes in and and the leaves are just completely toasted uh so they they become so i think that um and i think this is true right for for a lot of the trees that we grow you need to probably uh, sort of focus on on growing things that that are either native to to your area or or um, or they can grow in 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 that sort of environment well. Uh, obviously, Japanese maples are not endemic to the U.S., but yes, uh, we have in the in New Jersey, I would say, kind of similar in, in climate to to some areas of Japan. 
Uh, so, but again, we do get very cold where I am. I get, you know, there's stretches in the winter time where we get five, 10 degrees Fahrenheit and, uh, they need to be protected, right? They can take some hard freezes, but they do need to kind of get protected. Otherwise you're going to lose a lot of that fine ramification. Um, mm. but, uh, but yeah. And, and for those, for those people out there that is listening to this and, love Japanese maples or they're get, trying to get into them, I would say by far uh, the best Japanese maple to work with or start with is the straight, what they call straight green Ace of Palmatum. That mm. is by far the best. Uh, once you start getting into specific cultivars, uh, you, s- some of them are true and try uh, cultivars, but there's many that are difficult and they're weak on their own roots, etc. So it may lead to frustration. Uh, but I always say Ace of Palmatum, the, the green variety, is absolutely the best uh, maple to work with. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And um, what is your, like, what would be your maintenance, uh, aside from repotting around this time, when do you usually start doing like a partial defoliation? Oh, that's a great question. So partial defoliation, let's see. I usually, although not always, depending on the strength of that particular tree, I usually wait until, you know, uh, post-hardening and then I kind of cut back. However, some some of them that I have right now, they're pushing so strong that even before the leaves harden off, I'm cutting back, right? I'm doing right. the partial outer canopy defoliation. So it's like, you know, taking one leaf out of each pair. Mm-hmm. And uh, oftentimes I, the, the one that is left on the tree, I have I cut usually in half or mm-hmm. three quarters just to allow some some air and light inside of the canopy. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I'm fairly aggressive with some of the trees uh, because uh, part of part of the problem is with Japanese maple specifically again you're you're kind of uh, the the goal eventually on a on a highly ramified tree is that you want that fine ramification towards the tips. If you let them grow too much, and then cutting back, what happens is those tips are going to thicken very, uh, very quickly. And you're kind of uh, working against what makes the, their winter silhouette so beautiful. Um, so I am constantly just kind of taking one leaf off to try to kind of uh, uh, restrain a little bit the strength of those those tips. Right. Right. Awesome. Awesome. And how many times do you do that in a year, like a partial defoliation? We do that like twice? Yeah, so I I do it uh, maybe once uh, on a tree, but then I find myself coming back and taking a uh, you know some. I may have missed some sections, so I go back and I just kind of trim that, etc. So I think for me, I uh, maybe I I do it pretty much throughout uh, until well into summer. I would say that makes that makes a lot mm. of sense. It's very similar to some of our tropicals, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And uh, note for the listeners out there, uh, for partial defoliation or defoliation practices, uh, really want to do this on very healthy trees. We're talking trees like, uh, for instance, we're looking at a Japanese maple. We got to definitely keep in mind the leaves need to be very nice and dark green or, you know, whatever cultivar you're working with. You need that rich color that's expected uh, given the season. Um, and also we need we need to make considerations for the the state of the root system so i guess a uh, good question for that too is uh if you've just repotted sergio will you see more aggressive 
juvenile, re, like, like revert it back to type growth that you need to pinch even further and do more defoliation that year? Uh, first of all, that's a great point that you made, Evan, uh, about the listeners um, making sure that whatever they do, uh, any kind of work like that, like whether it's partial defoliation or uh, wiring, cutting back, et cetera, it has to, we always have to work with healthy trees. So that's a good point. Uh, in terms of, uh, you, the, your question is in terms of like, uh, from repotting, do you see kind of like almost like a, uh, uh, the tree almost responding back aggressively. Is that was that sort of the question from you, yeah. Evan? Is it yeah. a little bit more work, and there's yeah. more defoliation necessary for that? Um, I would say probably depends. Sometimes the trees from from being uh, heavily repotted have a sharp pygmy that uh that for example did not like i did a fairly aggressive uh repotting uh this was uh, uh i believe it was last last spring last last year and uh it, it just did not like it now that's a dwarf cultivar right with japanese straight ace of amatum, uh green green maples um they do respond very aggressively i mean uh when, when you chop the you cut back the, the roots um, yeah, sometimes they, they, they have a tendency to just kind of like burst in, in you know, uh, uh, quite a bit, like they, they, you see quite a bit of elongation. Um, and, uh, again, it depends on the phases where your tree may be, right? So if you're in a, a development phase, obviously you want to thicken, uh, potentially thicken the trunk or thicken uh, some of the primary branches. So obviously you have to let those extensions go. Uh, cut them back and then let it go. And so you, you repeat that, that process, um, you know, uh, over and over, over the years, over several years, mm. uh, when you're getting into more refined stuff. And that's where, it, it, you know, the trees demand a lot, a lot of work. And I would imagine that that's true for, you know, tropicals and conifers. It's like as the trees get more and more refined, it requires a lot, a lot of uh, attention. Again, uh, mainly because those tips are going to start thickening, et cetera, et cetera. So you really have to be be uh, be on top of that stuff. Certainly with wiring, um, although again, there's so much to unpack, right? So when we get into mm -hmm. wiring, um, you know, uh, I like to I like usually when when setting up the the general structure of a tree. If I'm getting a mm -hmm. piece of raw material uh, with a combination of cutting back and wiring. I like to usually wire my my tree sometimes all the way to the tips um, to set kind of like the the general sort of design or structure. And then for me, the strategy is like as you as a tree sort of develops, that design settles in. Uh, I like to kind of um, pull back on the wiring uh, mm -hmm. and, and let the natural growth of the tree just take over. I feel, in my opinion, I think if if somebody is wiring um constantly every single year uh over and over again uh for deciduous trees um i think there's something amiss uh with the approach i i think you should probably be able to pull back eventually um but again i i and i know that there's several professionals that believe in the clip what they call the clip and grow method mm -hmm. uh which is totally fine if it works for them obviously that's totally fine for me i like a combination i like a, a good combination of clip and grow and wiring but eventually again as the tree matures i like to pull back on the wiring there's always going to be 
a branch, two branches, three branches that you want to tweak or something, and then you want to wire that. That's uh, that's typical, right? That's pretty common. But uh, but but doing heavy wiring on a tree that is fairly mature, unless you're resetting the entire design of it, I think that uh, something is probably not not right with that approach. In, in my my humble opinion. Yeah, and on the show we've talked about uh, several times about cut and grow versus wiring out and which one do we think is better and we've come to the consensus uh me mike and carmen on previous uh episode about how yeah a little bit of both just to make adjustments especially and i i agree very uh very firmly with you on that sergio about with deciduous trees especially i like to get the primaries of deciduous set up put into place and then that primary branch structure uh, given the species uh, may not be flexible at, to a certain extent when it gets to a certain caliber or to a certain size. Um, now, I can I could really get a good bend on a bald cypress branch that's, you know, approaching a good <laughs> right. size because they're so flexible, but with right. some Japanese maples, they're brittle, you know? Yeah. So the other thing to keep in mind when, like, when you're really thinking about ramification too is that wiring it only has so much use because you you're going to be cutting off so much of the branch to go into the next tapered section so realistically like when you ask yourself what are you wiring for a year um if you wire out too much you know a lot of that's going to come back in so i i personally will wire things out and cut that growth off with without blinking an eye Uh, i don't look at it as wasted time uh, at times but I guess my point is, is that you'll find an approach where uh, you're mixing and matching and using wire and sometimes not using wire and sometimes, you know, just moving a branch down horizontal and then just using clip and grow from there. And so uh, there's going to be different approaches for every situation that you uh, kind of come across in Bonsai, I think. Completely agree with that, Mike. Completely agree. I think that there is a, a, a diversity of approaches. I think it, for me, uh, is what has given me the best, uh, more natural uh, sort of results. Um, not not any one technique, not leaning right. heavily into any one technique. Um, I find superior, I think, uh, to your point, is, is a variety of things. Um, and a little bit of um, sort of, um, you know... Um, uh ingenuity a little ingenuity exactly your creativity your yeah. thinking on your feet exactly <laughs> that that also uh plays plays a little bit of uh part in, into into the uh into the approach yeah 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 for, for sure. sure for sure i uh i work very hard at uh and i i don't know whether i'm successful at that or not but i i try very much to to not make my trees and this is the the whole classic by now is cliche, right? The the Janaka make make your bonsai look like a tree and not your tree like a bonsai. And I try very hard to make my trees as natural as possible. Uh, they, they I want a little bit of naturalness, but I also want something that feels refined. But I I I try to avoid making my trees look like bonsai. And uh, whenever I, I smell that, I, whenever I'm getting to that sort of like leaning a little heavily into that. I I try I try to change something about the tree to to what can I do with it that that to get it away from looking like quote unquote like too much like a bonsai uh, of sorts. But anyway, yeah, that's a that's a cool little aesthetic uh, anecdote there. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I like that. 
Uh, uh, you never you never really know how the tree's going to take you, and uh, and just being open to different techniques, we're we're big fans of on the show. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I've seen with uh, with maples in particular, and uh, then this is something I I work with a lot of trident maple, and I've seen people compare uh, trident maple to a Japanese maple kind of treatment. Uh, trident maple is a lot more aggressive. Um, and and not nearly as sensitive as as Japanese maples would be to some treatments. Uh, but the one thing that kind of that I look at and this ha- this goes with a lot of acers across like the acer family is right whenever they're about to start start a, uh, uh, extending their growth. There's actually the internode lengths start out pretty short. If I'm correct on this, with uh, some of the things that you've experienced with Japanese maples, Sergio. They start out relatively short, and you can actually look really close. You see these really nice, compacted internode links. And then right at, like, when it's starting to get the good extensions out, you'll get those longer ones that will meet more like a, like an inch to almost two inches in di- uh, not diameter, but, but length between internode spaces. And internode spaces, for our listeners who are not familiar with that, is that's where the, the uh, possible buds would be. And you'll actually, on a Japanese maple, it's really hard to pick up because it I kind of see some Japanese maples. They kind of ironically look like little bamboo shoots. Sometimes it's kind of kind of funny because they'll have really green, uh, very nice green iridescent looking uh, shoots on them sometimes. And uh, and you'll see that speed up in growth, and then it'll peter back down again. And you'll see the the um, the buds, the inner nodes get closer again. So is that something that you have to deal with uh, a lot with your tree, Sergio? Are you know how to combat that? Yeah. So that's that's uh. That's a, not only a, a great question, but uh, a, somewhat of a complicated question because, yeah. <laughs> uh, so first of all, trident maples. I always say that if you're you're living towards the south of of um, uh, you know the U.S., uh, I think trident maples are are the the, the maples to have. They mm-hmm. they can sustain a lot of heat, direct sun. I have mine. I have. I only have one uh, trident maple. Uh, fairly large striped maple, and I keep it in the full sun all day. Uh, and rarely do I get even a leaf that is uh, uh, scorched. Uh, I keep it well watered, of course. But in, in any case, and this is a, a large tree. So just for the listeners, if you have a small tree like a shohin, probably not the best idea to keep it in full sun all day long. But um, but they can sustain a lot of heat. They're uh, much vigorous, much more vigorous, I would say, that, than, than your typical ace or palmatum, Japanese maple. Um, they, uh, they, when they come out, um, the, uh, and I think this is sort of what you were saying, Evan, uh, the internodes can be the first, the first and second are fairly short. Then they start getting longer and longer and longer, right? So if you have a large tree, uh, sometimes, you know, the slightly bit longer internodes are probably okay in terms of proportion with your tree. Certainly, I think if you have a shohin or something small, you want to keep 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 tabs of of, of that length. Uh, for Japanese maples, I, I find you know, at least in my experience, I think people say, and I, I believe it's a misnomer, pinching will resolve automatically in short internodes. That it has not been my experience, and the reason for that is because I think it's a combination. How did you fertilize the tree perhaps the year before? 
there's a lot, a lot of factors that can play into internal length. Even if you pinch it very, very early, I've gotten, uh, and it depends on the, you know, on the strength of the tree, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, typically when you have two shoots coming out of the, the one node, uh, the one tends to be a little shorter and then the other one tends to be a little bit longer. Again, with pinching, sometimes I can, I can restrain and I can, uh, achieve a fairly short internal, an acceptable length. But, uh, but also I can, even if I pinch it very, very, very early, uh, that, 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 uh, internal, uh, just keeps on just growing. Uh, perhaps you can, perhaps to a degree, it'll end up being a little shorter than if you did not pinch it. Uh, but, uh, but again, it's not an automatic thing, at least in my experience. Uh, what I do do is once the leaves harden off and I see this, uh, very long internode, maybe I would say two to three inches, depending on the size of the tree, I cut that thing completely off, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm going to get buds at that base. It's not even probably, it's, it's almost, it's guaranteed that you'll get butt, uh, butts on, uh, at the base of that. And then, weaker shoots will grow out of that and then you pick one and uh and actually i pinch that too and i i that's how many times i i attain or achieve my my short internodes uh so there's a lot of that cutting back letting it grow pinching cutting back etc etc and little by little uh the other thing that i don't think a lot of people realize is that once a tree ramifies heavily I mean, when a tree has maybe two branches, right, is in development, your leaves are going to be huge, fairly huge, mm-hmm. and your internals are probably going to be huge because the tree is trying to kind of like compensate, right? But when once it starts dividing that and the tree is spending all that energy among that many more pieces of growth, uh, that's when you'll see also a reduction of the leaf almost automatically. Mm-hmm. Um there will always be with Japanese maples, there will always be areas that are very strong, very coarse. You're gonna have to like manage those fairly aggressively. Uh that's even with older uh specimens, that's gonna happen. That's not uncommon. Uh, but as the tree gets older and ramifies, those leaves are gonna uh, start getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh that's all good there. Uh and I, I think we're going to move on to talking about uh, different cultivars and also uh, on Japanese maples on their own roots versus grafts, which I feel like that could be a whole thing as well. Right. Uh, but before we get there, I want to go ahead and uh, do a couple of shout outs really quick about our, uh, or uh, I guess some, uh, what, sorry, <laughs> um, just like where to find our stuff on, uh, on social media and stuff. We usually throw that in the beginning, but we put it in the midpoint now. Uh, so if you guys want to check out any of the work that me and Mike do, uh, you can head over to underhillboneside.com, check out articles that I've written. You can head over to uh, Underhill's Instagram page and also Underhill's Facebook page to see what's going on at the nursery, what we have uh, currently available. Uh, we supply Southeast Louisiana with uh, bonsai supplies uh, such as soil, tools, wire, uh, pre-bonsai stock, all the way up to specimen level. Uh, for Mike, you can go over to kitsunebonsai.com and go check out his store. Uh, and his his offerings. Uh, Mike's got. I mean, are you running any online classes or anything coming up, Mike? 
Um, nothing online right now. Uh, we are doing our local classes. Uh, we have a, a few booked at the Alliance for the Arts that's local, and we also have our brewery class and our winery class. So yep. they can and go ahead and check those out online. Yep, and check that out at Mike's website. Mike is in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. So if you're near there, you might be in for a good time. Mike's a great teacher. Um, and then for Sergio, uh, your website is n5works.com. Hey. M5 Bonsai Works. M5 Bonsai Works.com. Go over to Sergio's website. His uh, portfolio of his trees are on there. He's got really awesome photos of his trees. Really good work on those photos. Did you shoot those yourself? Yes. Yeah. Excellent job. I like the progressions. I like the the, the, the staging you've done with those trees. It yeah. Gives... I, I, I just want to recreate the lighting you get. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I, I, my, my setup is uh, very modest. Uh, I would get laughed out of the room with uh, if I worked in there. Uh, to you know, if I show a professional, a real professional photographer, my, my, my equipment, I would get laughed out of the room. But it, it, it does what I, what I needed to do. So, but thank you. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, taking pictures of bone size is not easy, and you have to make a lot of adjustments, uh, especially to show line and twigging. Uh, and on those Japanese maples, it's so fine. Um, but yeah, it was really good display on there. So yeah, uh, let's jump back into it for, uh, for cultivars. That's something that I'm just now starting to get into with Japanese maples. Um, so is there, I know you said the green is the easiest one to start with, to get to kind of, to dip your toes in with Japanese maples. What is your favorite? And then what would be your, what would be like the, cultivar mm. in your opinion like the best the, one sure uh yeah uh, let me think for a second because i have a few but uh, lately i am uh, i become a huge fan of the uh, shishigashira uh mm. let me let me make a point uh because before uh we talked about wiring right and while i like wiring my my deciduous trees you have to be careful with some of these cultivars they're extremely brittle with shishigashiri it's almost like working with glass mm. uh if you're not careful you can you can do some bends but if you're not very careful if you're not watching yourself you'll end up with a whole branch in your hand uh they they won't crack they won't give you uh sort of a heads up uh you'll it, it'll suddenly just snaps right so uh, but Shishigashiri is like a wonderful cultivar. Uh, it, it is uh, notorious for growing very, very slow. It ramifies very slowly, but ultimately, once you're there, it's like amazing, just amazing, amazing cultivar. Extremely short internodes, almost without even trying. You can fertilize it uh the hell out of it basically and you still will get short internodes uh for the most part so wonderful and of course we we all know that uh it's got that um that ruffle kind of texture mm -hmm. uh which is wonderful mm -hmm. uh autumn color amazing amazing on shishigashira the other one that is a favorite of mine uh for sure is the arakawa which uh, is i knew it Yep. Yeah, I knew that was going to be mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I have to mention that one because that's uh, that's uh, dear to my heart. Um, very. Um, I always say that you pretty much get everything with Arakawa. You get the character of the of the bark. You get the fineness uh, uh, of the ramification that is typical uh, of the of a Japanese maple, and of course you get the color. The color for Arakawa is almost again without even trying hard. In autumn, absolutely incredible. That's the one 
one of my maples that no matter what what that year is, whether it's too hot, too cold, too wet, or whatever, always, always uh, is a great performer uh, in terms of color in the fall. Yeah, fantastic. Now, th this is interesting, right? Because, uh, and, and you brought it up, Evan, in terms of like on their own roots. My, I have a few Arakawas, they're all on their own roots. However, uh, in Japan, and I've seen them in my couple of trees that I did in Japan, I've seen them where they're grafted to regular uh, Aesopalmenum stock. What mm -hmm. happens is you end up with a quirky bark, right? The rough bark, but the base of it is that silver gray. So it looks rather strange. Um, and uh, not not particularly my my taste, but uh, but I suspect that they're grafted in order to make them more vigorous. Um, mm. One of the things that I've, uh, and I've talked to Bjorn about this, and he's seen this in Japan is, and this is, I guess this is just part of the of the cultivar, is that Arakawa, as they age, their uh, their apical regions tends, tend to die back. Now I have one, my, my twin trunk Arakawa, which is the most, probably the most developed Arakawa that I have. Uh, that's probably a tree that is nearing well, probably about 40 or 45 years old. I mm. have not seen any slowing down of the apical regions, but I am very, very observant of that because uh, I've seen, I've seen many in the U.S. being sold big, big trunks. And then all of a sudden the tops are completely chopped off because they die back. So something to, um, uh, to, to be mindful of. The Arakawa also has the annoying, <laughs> uh, sort of habit of, dropping branches here and there just mm. just because um so once again uh nothing is perfect right so you get the good with the bad uh as well but uh yeah arakawa has got to be at the top of my list for sure that's and awesome. and arakawa just that's that's like the the one you think you think that's the king for just japanese maple varieties basically huh uh, for the, well, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, Aesopamenum straight is probably at the top of my list just because you can do a lot of techniques. You can do thread grafting. You can do root grafting. You can even, I, I have one now where I've done a peg, uh, peg graft. Ah, um, I think I saw that. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, uh, I, I, I don't know, Mike, but I think, uh, I think it is going to make it. I think it uh, looked good. It looking, it's looking good. So cross, cross, just uh, pray for me. <laughs> Was that the one in Texas? In Texas. Uh, I just came from a, a customer in Texas that um, had a peg graph prepared and she was saying she was working on it with you. Oh, you're talking about, uh, I, I won't Gloria? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, yes. That's yeah. it. Uh -huh. That looks good. It looks, yeah. uh, that one, I don't know if you're talking about a different one, but that one I'm looks almost ready. Yeah, I'm talking about one that I I have here in my garden. It's a it's a multi trunk uh, Aesopalmatum, and uh, I I did the peg graft, and it's now in my third year, but it looks really well fused. And I'm about to cut cut the whole thing off, and uh, I think the branch will survive. So I'm really happy about that. But again, it's it Aesopalmatum can you can do a lot of these crazy techniques and uh, very very quickly with even within a season, maybe with exception of a peg graft. That is a little more complicated, but certainly I think you can do root grafting, thread grafting for sure within within a season. Uh, now the the second one favorite for me probably may have to be Arakawa. Yes, over Shishigashira. 
Yeah. Mm, that's awesome. And the tried then, and uh, true venerable green uh, traditional Japanese maple is the king. Yeah, I, I, I would it. say so. Yes. Yeah. Just because you can do a lot, you can achieve a lot in a short period of time. They're extremely vigorous, et cetera, et cetera. So great, great maple, especially for those that are starting with maples. Highly, highly recommended because uh, I see folks are that just getting into it and they immediately go to the fancy varieties. Right. And mm -hmm. while those are beautiful, all right, uh, I would reserve those for when you have a little more experience. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's awesome. Uh, with the Sharps Pygmy, I'm just kind of looking through your uh, your gallery now, just uh, seeing honored uh, finest uh, deciduous bonsai at the fourth U.S. National. Uh, yes, I think it was the fourth, correct. Uh, it, there's a, a little funny story behind that. Um, mm. I had, uh, I'm, I am part of, uh, the bonsai night. I think you guys know it's a internet, uh, forum and yep. I joined back in 2011. Now I had posted pictures of that sharp spigme. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm not thinking about showing that tree at all at all because I, I i know i needed work and stuff like that in 2014 i believe it was may bill valvani sends me a message hey would you mind would you mind showing this at the at the u.s national this september and when you put it like that i i told my wife i i mean i cannot say no no to bill i cannot say oh you know <laughs> thanks but no thanks i'm not gonna I'm not gonna show. It's not the tree's not ready. I mean, <laughs> the guy has invited me. It's like, okay, I I will, regardless of of my feelings, I definitely will show up with the tree. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, anyway. So I exhibit the tree, and uh, it ended up getting the finest deciduous uh, uh, award uh, that year, which was like blew my mind, honestly, because uh, I had not expected uh, any of that much less even show the tree uh at that at, at that, that year so it, it was um uh a great moment for me i'll, I'll be honest it, i mean it was like just blew my mind <laughs> uh now let me point out for sharks pygmy now that you brought it up evan uh mm -hmm. sharks pygmy has um beautiful variety it is considered a dwarf variety but they get very dense extremely quickly um and uh so what that means is that religiously every single year without fail especially when you have a fairly well um developed tree with a full canopy you have to you have to thin it out you have to thin it out uh because it, for sure it, it is it gets so dense that the interior areas will surely die back that same year if you don't thin it out so that is the one thing that's why i i you know some folks really like the sharp pygmy but i said if you don't have help I would be cautious about having more than one or two of them because they're a lot of work, a mm. lot of work. If you have a young tree with three branches, not a problem. But when you have something that is has a full canopy, there you have to you have to be at it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those very tedious high maintenance trees, and uh, I do agree. Like I can only have so many tedious trees in my in my garden <laughs> at a time. Uh, uh, they're my favorite. <laughs> oh yeah and 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 each each bonsai practitioner is different in that like 
Mike can go back there and work with little trees and do little yeah. the, the picking and the plucking and the, the cutting back and all that. Whereas I have uh, bigger trees, uh, deciduous trees and stuff that like, yeah, when you get to it, uh, thinning them out, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And that's like individual pieces of, and leaves and stuff you have to pick out. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm thinning out my water elm for the ABS show coming up. And it's just, it's little things it's like this one leaf in this one spot is making my canopy feel like too yeah. convoluted, like too crowded right here. So <laughs> there's little tedious things coming through and doing that. But with this sharps pygmy, I can see it. Um, and one of the things, like one of the reasons I also brought it up, I thought it was very interesting that it, it won finest um, because I know for the national show in Rochester, that's a very, uh, Bill prefers very traditionally styled trees. And Japanese maple is something that he really invests a lot of time into. That's like, I would, I would say that from my experience with Bill, I actually saw him give a presentation in uh, in Portland last time I was there on Japanese maples. I would, I would probably say it, it probably is his favorite species if I had to guess. I, um, I would, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. So, uh, and I've heard that he prefers very traditional styling where I'm looking at this sharps pygmy and you have um, a naturalistic broom going on, which is, uh, is not always something that, you know, I've talked to a handful of people about developing, developing Japanese maple to this, this higher level of like this, these styles of, of maple. And uh, I've had some opposing opinions on broom style Japanese maples. They say it's more appropriate to do the informal or formal upright uh, kind of styles with them or clumps or forests. But yeah, a, a broom is not very common. And, and that's what I've heard. How do you feel about brooms versus uh, traditional styles? Sure. So, well, there, there are cer- certain ones like Kiyohime's. You'll see them often uh, sort of growing in, in the broom style. So I think I think that uh, as long as it feels natural, I think it, it, I think it's okay. Um, uh, uh, one thing I want to point out about that about Bill is that yes, you're right. I think Bill is uh, has definitely a very classical kind of approach to bonsai, but knowing him a bit, uh, what I what I do also admire about Bill is that um, he's also open. Uh, to other other uh, approaches, uh, amazingly enough, as classical and as almost you can say traditional, which is there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, sort of following the Japanese model, if you will, uh, I've seen him ac- be accepting of of approaches that are far from being classical, and yet he accepts them. So I think I admire that because it's not easy, right? We all kind of have our biases, and some some folks are like. If it's not traditional, I, I don't like it, but uh, that's certainly, I, I would not categorize Bill uh, as such. Um, the the uh, uh, Back to the Sharps Pygmy, um, uh, Evan, I think that uh, you're right. I think if you look at that tree, the branches, to it, it's almost like, um, I would say kind of like, yes, you're right. It's almost like a broom, but also like a multi-trunk tree but if you really analyze a tree traditionally in japan you would have air layer right at the base of those uh where where all those uh trunks uh you know the point where they all come out you would have air layer to make a more traditional uh uh, multi-trunk uh style 
but that that they come up like three or four inches up the trunk. So I would say in Japan, um, definitely that would not fit into their traditional model. Uh, mm. So in that sense, uh, and I think in the U.S., I think certainly in Europe, we have uh, been able to uh, to kind of uh, not be holding necessarily by the traditional Japanese rules. And for example, some, uh, although I don't do a lot of dead wood in my deciduous, it's more acceptable right in the West, where in mm. Japan, they may take that tree and just throw it out in the garbage can. So again, <laughs> nothing better or worse. It's just a different kind of uh, approach, different aesthetic, uh, I suppose. And and you know we're 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 not Japanese, right? We're we're kind of uh, our culture is more of the West. Um, so I think we have a we all have a, a, a slightly bit different uh, way of um, of interpreting the art form, uh, essentially. Uh, mm. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that it's it's a beautiful tree, and uh, and if you go over to Sergio's site on his Impod Bonsaiworks.com, it's under the um, if you go to work, drop down, it's number five. If uh, listeners are interested, which tree we were just discussing there. Um, so, yeah, it's it's awesome. And I also love the, um, let's see, did the, was the pot changed for the, yeah, you changed to more of a cream colored pot for that tree. Yeah, um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it was in a Yamafusa and I was with Bill uh, in Japan back in, I think, 2015. And uh, we went to see the Taikan 10 and I actually bought it. I, I I had asked Bill, hey, Bill, you remember that that Charles Pigme? He goes, yeah, of course. He said, you think this part will will fit it? And he goes, yeah. So I, uh, now it's in a blue pot, Reiho uh, pot, Japanese uh, pot. And yeah, I had to also... Awesome. up. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's it's very nice. Uh, I've gotten com- uh, compliments, but also people say, ah, I think it's you know some people don't like that that bright blue, but I but I think in terms of Japanese maples and pots, I think sometimes color uh, is a is a great thing for for maples. Uh, mm-hmm. You can be a little more experimental with them, uh, like a sky blue or mm-hmm. um, certainly creams are always uh, are always a mainstay uh, with with maples. But but you can you can go outside of that. Uh, you know you can go into like the blues and some of the turquoise uh, even. So yeah, but I, I got that part in Japan. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a nice spot. Yeah, it's uh, and that's something we can kind of get into a little bit before we. Uh we start wrapping up here is a uh, pot selection like bonsai colors and glazes uh well glaze colors uh for japanese maples that's you know i've always kind of thought that the glossier and the more showy the maple is the the more loud the pot could be even if it's a larger tree of course you don't want to be electric colored you don't want to be electric yellows and electric blue and, and stuff like that but uh yeah i would love to see more uh highly developed trees like this and these beautiful pots uh i don't see any uh well yeah the cream's close to a yellow but there's not a lot of bright bright yellows it's it's something usually reserved for like shohin type uh type right. smaller trees and stuff but yeah the uh but i could see that with the the blue and then you get on to the the opening of the shoots and then maybe into the fall color that contrast is very sharp yeah. Um, that red yeah. and, and that, that sky blue, but you know, I, I think it's a great combination. Um, and, and for, for choosing bonsai pots for 
maples we usually uh in your opinion what what's what's something that you usually go for uh when you're starting to get to that level uh well i i mean i, I love koyo right koyo uh japanese uh pots uh are, are absolutely gorgeous beautiful what i like about japanese pots is they have a very refined understated feel to them that when you put in your tree, again, your tree is your painting, right? And then your pot is almost like the frame. You never really want the frame to take over the painting. You never want to have the, the viewer say, hey, Evan, uh, nice nice frame. <laughs> and yeah. before they say a nice <laughs> painting, right? So, um, uh, but outside of that, I mean, I think, again, coils are beautiful. Um, I love turquoise. I, I think cream always works with Japanese maples. The only point that I want to make here, because I have clients that I've seen where they match uh, an older tree with a very shiny pot. Um, mm. I think that the age of the tree and the age of the pot needs sort of to match, right? So meaning that that pot may have to be a little bit sort of... Uh, have had glaze that is a little more dull, maybe have a lot of patina to it so that it matches the age of, of, uh, of the tree itself. But I think that there's some wonderful experimentations, uh, in Europe, in the U.S. now with color. And I'm talking about larger pots now. We're not talking about shohin because your point, Evan, again, in shohin, you can be very, very, uh, experimental with colors. You can be a lot louder because they're so small, right? Uh, but in terms of when when they're so uh, bigger trees, um, I think now uh, you know they're experimenting now with mixing like blues and reds within the same pot, et cetera, et cetera, which is really interesting. And I'm uh, I look forward to to experiment with some of that stuff, uh, you know, matching my trees with something that is a little bit outside of the of the norm. Yeah, yeah, I love I love pottery. I mean, I think this is kind of the this is kind of the podcast of the the pottery nerds over here too. Uh, so, um, I know uh, Mike, you get into a lot of fancy pottery for your stuff too. I do yeah, I'm I'm like I'm pretty. I don't know. I'd say I'm ninety percent Japanese and probably ten percent other stuff. But because yeah. uh, like Sergio said, there's just there's certain understated qualities that most Japanese pots have that uh, it's I'm not going to say it's hard to find on Western pots, but there seems to be this quality that I can't explain it on every pot, but it seems very limited in the potters in the West that kind of can recreate that mm. kind of Japanese feel. And, um, you know, we're also a lot younger in the game. Um, so, you know, that'll probably change in time, but I really, uh, I'm, I'm would say I'm pretty obsessed with pots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's half the show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, good to kind of go towards our, the last segment of our show, we usually do our bonsai word of the week. And, uh, and it's usually something, uh, we just touch lightly on, so we don't have to dive, uh, deep dive too much, but yeah, just like, uh, wrapping up Japanese maples, uh, for a moment there. Um, I know there's so much more to be said, like, uh, we just did an Azalea episode. Uh, last episode with me and Carmen and I mean I had to like I had to like stop Carmen for a second I'm like wait wait uh, <laughs> we're going really long on this so yeah like uh but yeah we can revisit uh like we always take listener questions so if you if you guys have listened to this point in the episode thank you so much for listening this far in if you have questions please drop them into the patron page or 
uh, email me at evan at underhillboneside.com. We can revisit questions about uh, Japanese maples and azaleas uh, in particular. So I know an hour is barely enough time to wrap it up. But uh, Sergio, did you have any closing statements about Japanese maples before we move oh on? Just, just real, if, if you can make it quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, quintessential uh, deciduous tree, right? Uh, so you you will not be um i think disappointed uh with working with uh with maples and uh believe it or not they're uh they're easy they're easy to grow believe mm. it or not especially the acer palmatum uh straight as palmatum very very easy to grow but uh easy to grow but again quintessential deciduous tree uh just yeah uh it, but it's up there with like the the Shimpaku juniper and the Japanese white pine. I mean, it's it's one of the trilogy. I mean, the trilogy, the uh, the Trinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the Holy Trinity. Sure, that's yep. why they. I believe the the black pines are usually called the, the kings of bonsai, and mm -hmm. uh, and so and the Japanese maples are the queens, right? Yeah. They have that feminine, more feminine kind of uh, sort mm -hmm. of uh, look and feel. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sergio. Uh, the so the bonsai word of the week. And it's not necessarily because a lot of our words have been just straight uh, Japanese terms based off of actual words that I consider to be poetic to what, like there's just that one word that describes something in bonsai. So we're going to kind of back off of just doing like the straight stuff like where it's like mochikome and kusamono and yamadori. Uh, this time we're going to talk about something I feel like needs to be brought up a little bit more often uh, so we can kind of... Uh, get some key differences in uh in this word here is free bonsai and so i feel like a lot of young bonsai practitioners confuse the bonsai stock like the um so you have your established bonsai tree and then uh and, and i experienced this at the nursery i'm over here at the bonsai nursery in uh in Folsom, louisiana and we have people looking for free bonsai stock so um, from, from what I have kind of studied into developing bonsai here at the nursery is pre-bonsai stock. And you guys can, uh, chime in after to give your opinions on this. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a controversial, uh, term and it's used very lightly in some cases, unfortunately, but from my experience, pre-bonsai means that, that, that your tree, it is a realized form and style and it's basically one repot away from moving into a realized bonsai and i feel like that's confused with raw stock sometimes um and so there's a there's a fine line there uh but i feel like it's a little confused uh so what do you guys think well i think at the nursery at weigert's what we would denote as a pre-bonsai is something that has had one like root reduction down to a bulb pan and has usually been pruned to have lots of low branches and be like a little dense shrub. Hmm. Um, you know, so I, uh, I think to me personally, if I've put in the time to select branches and like actually wire stuff out and start to grow it as an actual trained tree to me, if I'm bringing it in during a freeze, it's a bonsai, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Other than that, it's a, it's uh, a plant. Yeah. yeah. Good. yeah. Where well, does it cross over from plant to pre bonsai for you, Sergio? Oh man. Yeah. I think Mike said it best. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. I, I'm not sure that I can add any more to what Mike said. That's, yeah. is, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. When it becomes yeah. like your baby, and it becomes that's valuable. Exa- <laughs> that's exactly right. There's something about it that's like it becomes a bonsai. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So it's that approach. Yeah. I just yeah. I want the listeners to consider pre bonsai stock versus raw stock. Um, and it's something that we all, uh, you know, starting out, you know, your day one, getting interested in a bonsai and maybe you turned on this, this podcast and you're like, oh yeah, this sounds awesome. Uh, getting to some Japanese maple and you're like, what, where do I even start learning what pre bonsai stock is will get you a long way. Uh, cause you can go down to any garden center anywhere and find Japanese maples and you'll find them on, you know, sometimes you'll get lucky and you'll find them on their own route. And maybe you grow that that plant into a great bonsai tree one day, or you find a reputable bonsai nursery, uh, and there's going to be one. I think there's there's good bonsai nurseries just about in every state that I can think of uh, in the United States, and then of course uh, we have listeners all over. So uh, just check just check around and see what you got. But I mean, those are usually the best places to find your pre bonsai stock. Um, I I don't know. I feel like. I'm trying to make a point on it and we should, I should do a whole episode separate from, from my little rant right here. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a line there um, and, you know, developed uh, refined bonsai there, you know, nothing beats that, but yeah, it, it's kind of like the, like we were mentioned earlier, it's the, it's the, it's the newness, the new bonsai that's becoming valuable. That's, that's kind of what that sweet spot you're looking for, for, for pre bonsai stock. But Anyway, um, so yeah, Sergio, thanks for being on the show. Um, is there anything else going on that we should know about? Are you going to be doing any workshops, demos, shows, anything? Soon? Uh, I just came I just came from Toronto and uh, I will be, yeah, so I, I'll be doing a few uh, local ones, uh, but I think an exciting one is coming for me uh, in uh, late August. I'll be doing uh, something in Germany. Oh, sweet. Uh, awesome. With- with Mr. Walter Powell and Jennifer Price. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, So yeah, I I, I try to, you know, try to to have uh, keep up with my workshops and whatnot. But, uh, but again, yeah, this was, uh, this was a lot of fun, guys. Uh, Again, big fan. uh, And uh, I'm honored to uh, that you guys uh, thought of me to to be part of your your podcast. Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, All right, no be worries. well and uh, bonsai on, man. Yeah, you bonsai too, man. Take on. Love it. Bonsai on, Sergio. We'll talk to you soon, okay, buddy? Thank you. All right, All right. man.